Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explores the importance of saying yes to God. There's people that are depending on you staying on the right path in doing what God has called you to do. And that's so important as we see this series of amazing conversions is what I've called this series in Acts 9 and 10. People being turned off the path they were on to follow the shepherd who's going to take them on a different path, a conversion, a change, a redirection. And that redirection is so important for us to see not only because it will benefit you, but it's going to benefit so many other people. Are you willing to do anything for God? While we'd all like to think we'd answer with an enthusiastic yes, in reality, most of us would prefer to pick and choose what we do for God. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explains that there are people depending on us to obey God, and we need to be willing to do what He says, even before we know what it is. I'm your host, Dave Drewy. Now here's Pastor Mike with a message titled, Saul, A New Purpose. hosting a radio show yesterday morning and someone called in with a Bible question about Psalm 23, about the imagery of Psalm 23. And it got me thinking how common that imagery is that God is depicted as a shepherd, as a good shepherd, and that we are depicted as sheep. And it's so common just throughout the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, everywhere. Sometimes it's the sheep analogy for us. Sometimes it's the shepherd analogy for God. Sometimes it's a combination of both. But in an agrarian society where that's common fare, they see it everywhere, they understood that perhaps with a a greater sense of what actually it means than we do, although we get it, right? The shepherd is the leader, he's the one who directs, he's the one who guides, and the sheep are those that are supposed to listen and follow and be guided, and and, and that all makes sense. But maybe we don't understand quite as well as they did is just how Uh, wayward sheep can be, how thick-headed they can be, how scared and timid they are to follow the shepherd when he's trying to lead them where they need to go. And what's important for us to catch is God continually reminds us we're sheep is that it's so easy for us, as he says we often do, to wander, to wander off the path, to not do what the shepherd asks, to not follow the shepherd down the path that he has laid out for us. And that's the problem. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And that's the, that's the problem that God says he wants us to solve. Preaching, in one sense, every weekend is trying to make sure that we do what the good shepherd asks us to do. And as we think about why the good shepherd wants us to walk down this path, particularly a path that is lined, according to Ephesians 2.10, with good works for us that he's prepared beforehand, is not only so that we can have a good experience in this life, because sometimes it's a hard experience following the shepherd. Sometimes he leads us into places like the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes he leads us to have a meal surrounded by our enemies. I mean, there's a lot of situations that are hard, but it's not just that you can have a good experience because sometimes it's hard. It's so that others can have the benefit of you being on the right path. In other words, there's people that are depending on you staying on the right path in doing what God has called you to do. And that's so important as we see this series of amazing conversions, is what I've called this series in in Acts 9 and 10. People being turned off the path they were on to follow the shepherd who's going to take them on a different path, a conversion, a change, a redirection. 
And that redirection is so important for us to see, not only because it will benefit you, Saul of Tarsus, if you become Paul the apostle, but it's going to benefit so many other people. Matter of fact, so many people will rely on you being faithful to walk the path that God has called you to walk. In Acts chapter 9, verses 6 through 10, what I want us to see is not only was it important for the apostle Paul to follow the path that God had laid out for him, but even the man that he now enlists seemingly out of nowhere as he's going to Damascus, Paul is, to arrest Christians. He picks a Christian in Damascus and he says, okay, I need you to follow my lead. It's down a little scary path here, but I need you to do what I'm asking you to do so that you can be the instrument and the means to accomplish what I need accomplished in this guy's life so that he can fulfill the mission and calling I have for his life. So it's really a series of reminders of how important it is that you and I are faithful to follow the good shepherd. It's a good path laid out with good works that's going to result in good fruit. And in the end, you'll look back on it, even if it does take you through some kind of twisted, shadowy path, it's going to be, as you look back, it's good if I stayed on the path. What's bad is wandering off the path. So I want us to look at this passage and be encouraged and heartened by two men in this text that follow the lead of the good shepherd, even when it was scary and difficult. Grab your Bibles, pull it up on your phones, whatever. Look at it, verses Uh, 10 through 16 of Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Follow along as I read it for you, starting in verse number 10. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. We got three Ananiases in the book of Acts, and this is the one here that is going to do something a little bit scary, and he's going to do it faithfully and follow the will of God for his life, and we're grateful that he did. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Ananias responds, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, at the house of Judas, and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. He's called an instrument of God, and certainly he would be. The rest of the book of Acts is going to play out how much of an instrument of God he was. But right here, I mean, we can't miss that Ananias is being used as an instrument of God. And aren't you glad that Ananias was faithful to do the will of God in his life? And we should all be grateful because we study his letters that Paul was faithful to do the will of God in his life. It's all about you and I recognizing there are other people depending on you doing the will of God for your life. And there's a lot of disappointment, not only for you, There's a lot of disaster, a lot of pain, a lot of frustration that comes that's way more important than our inconveniences or our fears that will come when you and I say, I'm not interested in doing the will of God. Now, again, we look at a passage like this and say, just like we've seen in previous passages, well, it would be really nice if God showed up in a vision and told me what to do. But before you get into that, and we'll deal with that, but I want to start right now with the fact that before Ananias even knew what the will of God was, he responds in verse 10, look at it afresh, 
with a phrase that is loaded. And I say that because all throughout the Old Testament, this same phrase in a different language in Hebrew in the Old Testament is repeated constantly by the people that are being called on by God to do something. God comes and shows up and says to several people, like Samuel, hey, Samuel. And Samuel responds, here I am, Lord. He shows up to Abraham, here I am, Lord. He shows up to Moses, here I am, Lord. He shows up to Isaiah, here I am, Lord. This is a common response that shows I understand who you are and I am here to respond and do your will. And some of you are saying, well, I'd like to know God's will for my life. Well, here, I'm going to tell you, you're never going to know God's will for your life. You're never going to know any specifics about God's will for your life if you don't start where Ananias started, where Samuel started, where Isaiah started by saying, here I am, Lord. That's an implication, if you're taking notes, number one, that you are willing to do God's will. As Jesus himself said, you will not know a lot of things about God's will unless you're willing to do his will. So you got to be willing to do his will even before you know what that is. Number one, be willing to do God's will. You want to know what God wants for your life? You want to walk the path and follow the good shepherd? Well, first thing you start with is I am willing to do your will. If I have a will to buy some things on my laptop and we are together and I say, well, I got some things I want to buy and I look at you because you're over at my house and I say, give me your debit card because I want to put it into this website so I can do my will and buy my stuff and I bet you're going to say, tell me what you're going to buy first before I give you my debit card. I mean, I don't know, if you need a $9 item, Pastor Mike, fine, you're okay, I guess I'll buy you a $9 item on this website. But if I say, nope, just give me your debit card, I'm assuring you that most of you, unless you're a little crazy, you're not going to give me your debit card. You want to say, show me what you want to buy, then I'll give you my debit card and my PIN number, and then I'll let you buy it. But I'm not letting you going on, I'm not going to let you go on a shopping spree with my credit card. I need to know what it's going to cost me. And here's the thing about Christianity, and we've studied this a lot in the series already in Acts, is that we come to Christ, according to Luke 14, and we say, I've already given everything up. Matthew 19, you're rich and ruling, I'm giving everything up. I know in my mind, I've already said, God, all right, everything about my life is yours, so whatever you want to do is fine. Now we're living along, plodding along in our Christian life, and when we're moving through that, saying, God, what is your will for my life? What should I do next in life? What should I do for my job? Who should I marry? Where should I go? Where should I live? What kinds of things should I be doing in this next season of my life? What ministry should I be involved in? Should I go on the next church plant? All these questions you have. What's God's will? Well, you got to start with this. God, here I am, Lord. Matter of fact, if you think back to Samuel, when Samuel keeps running into Eli, he keeps hearing God calling him, And and, and he keeps saying, here I am, Lord, here I am, Lord. Here's what Eli sends him back to say. Not only do you say, here I am, Lord, but he adds this phrase. Eli wisely said to, to, to the boy Samuel, he said, say this. He says, here I am, Lord, that's fine. You can say all that, but here, say this. Speak for your servant is listening. Speak for your servant is listening. So there's just so much compounding in that. It's like the other side of the word Lord, right? Lord means you're the boss. Now, here's how Eli helps Samuel understand the will of God. It's going to start with, hey, Samuel, I got a plan for you. And, and the response is supposed to be, and rightly so, and the rest of the trajectory of his life proves this. He's saying, I am your servant. So you tell me what you want to do. I'm here to serve. So many of us are pitched to Christianity early in our lives that 
keeps us right there in the center of our world and Christ becomes a part of the orbit of our world and we're hoping, much like the old geocentric view of the universe, that you know the sun will nicely warm up my life and kind of rotate around me and I'm the center of the universe. And that's kind of how we like to think about religion and Christianity. But the reality is, much like the heliocentric view of the universe, or the solar system rather, uh, replacing the geocentric view of our solar system, it's like, no, 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 wait, that's not how it works. It may appear that way, like God shining his blessings down on me, but that's not how this works, right? You are not the center. Christ is the center, and you are here as his servant saying, God, what can I do for you? A lot of people are saying, what can God do for me? What can Christ do for me? What can my Christianity do for me? That's the wrong thing. And it's pitched that way so often from tracts and Christian books and sermons, and you just got to just blow that out of your mind. So that's not the biblical view. Biblical view is there is a God, and God is God, and that means he's at the center. That means everything is there to serve and glorify him, to use a biblical phrase. And the idea of my life is, God, what would you like me to do? So I want to know what your will for my life is. I'd like to know if you're going to interrupt my life with an appointment this afternoon on Aliso Viejo Parkway at Starbucks with a guy from Anaheim. That would be good. I'd like to know that. Or I'd like to know about my career path that's about to be changed, like Saul of Tarsus. I'd like to know that. But it's got to start with me saying, my life is a servant life, and I want to hear the will of God. I want to know what God wants, but I'm here to serve you. I'm listening as a servant to the Lord. By the way, I know you know this phrase that came on the heels of here I am when Isaiah said it in Isaiah 6, Sunday school grads. Think that, think that through. Here there is this statement from heaven's throne, and Isaiah responds, here I am. What's the next phrase? Do you know it? Send me. Send me. Now, what's funny about that is it didn't start with a statement from the throne of God in this vision. Hey, I need to send a missionary off to Maui, so I just wonder if there's anyone that wants to go. Well, here, here am I. Send me. Not what he says. He has no idea where he's going to go. As a matter of fact, here's all that God says in the preceding verse. It says, the Lord said, who's going to go for us? Who should I send? And I'm going to say, can you put the things in the cart so I can figure out whether my debit card can cover that? I mean, I don't know if I want to sign up for that. Where are you going to send a person? You're looking for someone to send? Where are you going to send them? I want to know, how long is it going to take? How much is it going to cost? He has none of that. His response is simply, here am I, send me. How do you get there? Let me turn to Isaiah 6 real quick. Turn with me, call that up on your device, and look at Isaiah chapter 6, and notice two component prerequisites for that response. If you want to be able to say, your servant's listening, right? Here am I, send me. If you want that kind of, I'm willing to do your will before I even know what it is, you're going to need these two things. And we've already alluded to them, but let's look at them in in a great context here where they're all compounded together in Isaiah chapter 6. Starts with a statement of the king, King Uzziah. Served for 52 years, very prosperous, things were going well. Not unlike America, things were well economically, but morally they were on decline and collapsing and degenerating quickly. And Isaiah is a part of this kingdom, and he has a king here, Uzziah, and he dies. And it's just interesting now that we have the real king behind it all, who's concerned with more than the economy in Israel, 
And he is way above King Uzziah. He's seated on a throne. He is high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, which is a picture of his majesty, like the the, the gals that get married, the princesses over there in England with a super long train on their robe. It's like, dude, that's way too long, right? You don't need that much. You're making a big statement there with that. Well, the point is, it's like almost comical, the picture of his robe, the train of his robe. Talk about the majesty. It's like filling the whole room. And then there's the, the burning ones. It says in verse 2, seraphim, seraphim Hebrew, the burning ones. The seraphim, they each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And they called out and said to one another this, holy, holy, holy. That means different, set apart, different, set apart, completely other, transcendent, unlike any king you've ever met, way above all kings, all lords, all bosses, all managers, all sovereigns. He's all above that. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You know that word? The armies. If someone walks in and says, uh, I've got a command for you guys, you're going to go, well, who are you? Who are you? And I bet a lot of us would cross our arms, even if it was like your boss from work or your mayor or, or governor, you would like, who are you? I'm not going to do what you say. And the point is, you just need to keep in your mind going all the way up. Even if we lived in a place like King Uzziah who could lift up his scepter and have you executed, I bet you'd have more respect for him, but you keep going up there. The, the king of all the armies of heaven, the king who is superseding and sovereign over all kings of the earth, he's the Holy One. And the whole earth should be filled with and is at least reflections of his glory. It's a fallen earth, I get that, but there ought to be people who recognize the greatness of God. And the foundations of the threshold shook. That's going to get your attention. If we had a big earthquake right now, like, oh, now you're listening. Well, then God's going to speak. The voice of the Lord who called out, the house was filled with smoke and said, and here's what Isaiah said, woe to me, I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For the, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of the armies, the Lord of hosts. I just say this, the prerequisites, number one, is that you probably don't have a high enough view of God if you do not sincerely say right now that if Christ walked out on this stage and said, I got a mission that every one of you should stand up and say, I'm willing to do whatever that mission is. You have to do that. It's not, you know, here's your mission if you choose to accept it. That's not how it works for Christians, right? It's for you, it is like, yes. Yes, before I know what it is. I mean, that's where this goes. Matter of fact, let's jump down here to, to, the, to the punchline. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, where do you want to send someone? No, here I am, send me. I don't even know where it is. I'm gonna go, I'm willing, I'm here. So that's the first component. Your view of God may be too small. You, you may not have res, enough respect for authority because in our day, particularly in Western culture, we, we don't want to give anyone authority. We got a flatline view of life. Well, it ain't flatline, trust me. It's a pyramid, and in God's mind, he clearly is, in all absolute objective truth, he is at the top. He can snuff your life out. He can destroy our nation. He can destroy everything. He can, he can do whatever he wants. He's a sovereign king. And if he's got a will for you, if he's got a desire for your future, your, your afternoon, next month, next year, and for the next 10 years of your life, you should be able to say, okay, you're the authority. Here I am, Lord. That's what Ananias said. Here I am, Lord. That's what Samuel said. Samuel says, I'm a servant. You're, you're the boss. There's another thing here in verse number six that I think stands in the way of you saying what Isaiah is going to end up saying before he even knows what it is. It's something going on in your own heart, your own mind. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. It's covered, it's gone. You're no longer guilty. 
He sees the greatness of God, and the higher you view God, the more you see yourself as a sinner. And some of you don't even see yourself as a sinner because you don't have the right view of God. You have the right view of God. I am unworthy. I am sinful. What could I ever do for God? Well, there's no way you're going to say, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. I mean, if, if I had Christ to walk out on the stage and say, I got a mission, you might say, it isn't because I'm not willing to do it. You might say, I don't think I'm worthy to do it. And if you think that, you don't understand this part. Two prerequisites, a high view of God and a high view of your forgiveness. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. And here's the problem. It happens in the Bible. A lot of times people have the right response with their words, but in their heart, they don't. Moses. I hate to throw Moses under the bus this morning. But Moses hears the voice of God in this vision from the burning bush, and he says, here I am, Lord. Says the right thing. And then the Lord says, great. Got your attention? Here's the mission. The mission is you're going to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people of Israel go. And he goes, yes, sir. Here I go. Is that what he said? No, we just read this. Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4 is this whole scene at the burning bush. And here's what Moses said. In the end, here's what he ramps up to saying, send someone else. Dude, what, are you busy this week? What do you mean to send someone else? No, 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 it wasn't about that. What did he keep saying? I'm I'm not worthy. I mean, that really is, I can't do it. I don't have the right abilities. I don't have the right skills. Send someone else. And I don't think with Moses being, to- being told of Moses that he's the most humble man, I don't think this was because of the fact that he was too proud to do it. It's because he wasn't willing to accept the forgiveness that God grants. He didn't believe in the atonement that God grants. The problem is he really looked back at his past and he saw the failure of killing that Egyptian, burying him in the sand, gets run out of town, becomes an employee of his father-in-law and mopes around in the Midian desert. And when God says, I got a task for you, he doesn't say, here I am, send me. He goes, no, I don't want to go. And I think he didn't want to go because he doesn't realize that he's 100% completely accepted and forgiven. Why do you think God chose, by the way, as long as we're talking about an instrument of God who changes the world, why do you think God chose Saul of Tarsus? Well, we know that Saul turns around and tells Timothy, here's the thing, God chose me the foremost of sinners, that he might demonstrate his perfect patience, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his redemption. He took the worst to show that any of you here thinking, I'm not worthy to do what what God, what if Christ came out and said, what I'm looking for is a pastor of the next church plan. What I need is a key player in a huge new ministry I'm starting, right? A lot of you say, well, I want to hear what it is first because I don't know that I'm qualified for that. Now, I know there are practical qualifications, for things that God calls you to do. There's training to be had and all that. But I don't want you sitting here, well, here's one of the reasons I can't sincerely say, God, I'll do your will before I know what it is. Because you're hung up on the fact that you carry in your heart guilt you should not carry because you think, just like Peter, who went out fishing in John 21, when he should have been out preaching, he didn't do it because he carried around stupid guilt in his own heart that God had said is removed. You're listening to Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares and a message titled, Saul, A New Purpose. Pastor Mike will be back in just a moment, so keep listening. If God is setting a new purpose in your heart to help more people hear the gospel, then won't you support this ministry with a financial donation? Your gifts really do make a difference. We are grateful to broadcast Pastor Mike's clear, verse-by-verse biblical teaching on more than 800 radio stations across the country and around the world. And you can help expand our reach and ensure people everywhere have access to solid biblical teaching by making a generous donation at focalpointradio.org or by calling us at 888 888- 
320-5885. In this month when you give, we'll say thanks by sending you A.W. Tozer's book titled Men Who Met God, 12 Life-Changing Encounters. It's our gift when you give to Focal Point. Call 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. Well, what's on your bucket list this year? If you're ready to cross, take a trip of a lifetime off that list, then you're invited to cruise with us to Alaska with Pastor Mike this summer. The trip is planned. The rooms are ready. We just need you to join us. Now here's Pastor Mike with more information. Hi, Pastor Mike Fabar is here. In the summer of 2024, I'll be teaching the Bible on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. I want you to come with me. From August the 4th through August the 11th, 2024, we're going to discover the splendor of God's Word while we explore the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Join us for world-class dining, daily teaching, worship. It'll be an unforgettable experience. So don't wait to book your spot. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska to learn more. Thanks, Pastor Mike. To find out how you can cruise to Alaska with us, go to focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us tomorrow on Focal Point as Pastor Mike continues his message called Saul, A New Purpose. There's more to the story coming up Tuesday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear, but we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's word is truth. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.